0: Welcome back, everybody, to Rain On Your Parade with J.L. Covan. I'm J.L. Covan, here as always with my producer. And I think we can elevate you to sidekick, uh, Mike.
1: Wow, what a promotion.
0: Hey, you know, you're no longer Alfred. You're more like Robin. Gr- oh, great. i <laughs> love to hear it. that. Never mind, then. Okay, Hello, fuck it. Hello, the everybody. The is here, everybody. <laughs> I'm going to defeat him today. Everybody's favorite part of the show. Here I am. <laughs> um yeah, we're here. We're uh, we're not queer, but we're accepting. Get mm-hmm. used to it. Yeah, uh, Mike. I always have this funny thing now when I'm walking around Williams Williamsburg, Brooklyn, on the way to the show. Uh, I had Shake Shack today. I, I I wanted to be healthy, but I I, I wasn't. Um, tomorrow, the diet starts tomorrow. But every time I see a pair of like attractive looking women, I just want to walk up to them and go, "You podcasting with Mike?" And they're like, "Who?" I seem like a weird foreigner That's who doesn't really know funny. the color. I'm like, podcast with Mike. <laughs> uh no. <laughs> okay, I thought two hot chicks doing talk with Mike. Um, but yeah, we're here in Williamsburg. It's getting cool, so I've busted out the, as Laura calls it, the communist shirt.
1: I'm thrilled. You have no idea. For the audience, I've been telling JL for for months that I need him to switch up the wardrobe a little bit because it's always a blue plaid checkered shirt. And I can't tell any of the footage apart when we put the show together because I'm just like, was he wearing blue
0: that week also? Yeah. And also, obviously, he's watching the footage going uh, fire, fire, <laughs> fire, fire, hot fire. <laughs> I can't remember. Are all the episodes just fire? Jeez. Uh, like a, give me an off week, Tail, where I can say, okay, this one was just an A, not an A plus. Phew. All right. I know this is this week's show. Please see the episode about nice comedy. <laughs> hey, some of my fan actually like my comedy talk. I don't know. All right. But last week's, the last couple have been great. I think yeah. everybody. And uh that Taylor Swift episode is a behemoth. Beast. Yeah, yeah. Hope everybody stayed till the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a cutscene like a Marvel movie.
0: It's. I mean, it's you see what you see what's coming together in JL Phase Four. Italian <laughs> Italian bigotry comedy.
1: We're bringing the X Men into the
0: universe. Vinny the Guinea will be back <laughs> in JL Avengers Part Two. <laughs> oh! Vinny the Guinea. That's a great character. Well, no, uh. that is what I'm going to do in 2024 as I lose weight and grow out my hair and slick it back, but slick back studios, mm-hmm. it's all coming together. People, <laughs> uh, I am, I am so tempted just at this phase of my comedy career to take a massive risk. I'm talking Sasha Baron Cohen type risk where it's like, yeah, I'm going to disappear for eight months, hit the gym, uh, take some, maybe some, some eugenics or whatever, uh, 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 uh Frank Thomas is selling it's for a middle total age. tea, I think. Yeah, all yeah. the middle age guys. By the way, I sat and in a restaurant. she'll love it too. <laughs> <laughs> Whether she wants it or not. Um, I was sitting in a restaurant, Ocean Prime, in uh, Midtown Manhattan. Yeah. And uh, I'm sitting there, and then who sits down next to me? Frank Thomas? Frank Thomas. No shit. With like, I think it was like a business dinner or something, they were discussing something. Yeah. Frank Thomas, people do not, this man is so damn big. Like even when he hurt. was playing, but it's like, it's a, his arms were like thighs yeah. and I'm not saying that in sort of a, Oh, come on. No, his arms are like thighs. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there a little overweight at six, seven, like two eighty. Your arms are also like thighs. No, like my arms <laughs> were kidding. like calves yeah. to his thigh <laughs> arms and they're just talking and they're having some kind of meeting. And I was just like, I don't think you need tea. Yeah. Frank Thomas. Yeah, yeah. I think you're all good on tea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's just so fun. Real quick on those commercials. Yeah.
1: The only the other thing that I always find funny is like it's Frank Thomas is the big fish, and mm-hmm. then they have Andy Van Slyke in
0: there. <laughs> well, he's new. He's new to he's the been new doing genetics. him for A little bit. The because the, Flutie was the next one. Yes, Flutie was the next And too. then Andy Van Slyke and they show him and Andy Van Slyke is looking
1: jacked. Yes, but like who is Andy Van Slyke? He was like a, like, like a two time all star, and
0: then and, like, he led the league in triples. If I it's amazing. <laughs> in thing 1993- remember from your fucking baseball cards it's like yeah he had 18 triples one season look it up while you're listening to this go wait andy van Slyke did have 18 triples one year it's like i just remembered from tops it's just so funny like
1: like at least frank thomas is like recognizable and like a hall of fame oh, yeah. player you know like and then it's just like it's him and then his buddy andy van like yeah <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's Drowned uh, but anyway,
0: place. we're sitting there and he was just this massive human being. And then we ordered first, but his shrimp cocktail came, by the way, four shrimp for me had to pay for it, mm-hmm. came after the six complimentary <laughs> shrimp for Frank Thomas. Um, peeled, not peeled, peeled
1: like were the shrimp peeled. Were they? T- was the tail off? No, like, did the tail's get always the real on. VI- v- no, the tail's always not on. for Frank Thomas.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, okay, I got think it. so. Just checking. Um, but they give you one of those like smoke show kind of deliveries yeah, 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 yeah. of it. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but when I got up, it was so funny because when I got up, everybody had seen Frank Thomas, and when I left with Laura from the dinner, I could feel people looking at me too, and that's awesome when you get confused for somebody because you're big and standing next to a big famous person for Frank Thomas. Yeah. They were like, Oh, that guy must be Andy Van Slyke. <laughs> 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 oh man. That is, see, that's, it's like jazz people. I didn't know he was going to play the Andy Van Slyke note, but I said, that's okay. Anyway, jazz sucks. both the Utah and the music. Um, but I have a couple things I want to tell the audience before we get kind of really rolling with the show. Mm. Um, Patreon, folks. Check out my Patreon. Patreon.com slash JL Covan. A lot of bonus stuff there. October was probably my most prolific month of, of content posting. But there's videos. There's, there's some travel stuff that I've done. Uh, if you scroll back, you'll see a lot of like videos that I am not sharing elsewhere, including my Universal Studios video with my mom when we were in a fake Star Trek episode when I was 13. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of good stuff there. The book reviews every, every month. Um, So yeah, if you like what we do on this show or you like what I do in general, or you just want to, you know, flex that you have $3 a month, go, go join the Patreon. Um, And on top of that, what else do I have? Oh yeah. And then obviously check out uh, tall boy on YouTube. That's my first special. And then uh, my new album, half blackface. Which came out? The special uh, should be out in 2024, but who knows? At this point, um, at this point, it's become the Chinese democracy of uh, of, of stand up comedy. So yeah. we hope it'll be out. You could be well. That's use your that's use your illusion, Mike. <laughs> too, actually use your illusion. too. Chinese democracy uh, is the album that I was overproduced, but not terrible. Hmm. But that took Guns and Roses really. Axl Rose. 15 years or something yeah. to come out with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As much as I'm a fan and don't think the album is terrible, not worth the wait.
1: Never is, man.
0: Well, Half Blackface is. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you set that up. And then I knock it in. Half Blackface is worth the wait. You're not going to see a better special. And now we'll save all the rest of the comedy talk for the comedy segment at the end. Mike's favorite. He can hardly wait to get there. I love it. I love that we're pushing it to the back. Well, I'm becoming, you know, that's what a lot of the scouts for the professionals podcasting league are yeah. saying they're watching game tape of me and they're saying ever since JL kind of took his raw talents we already we already knew the metrics were there but it, but would he ever put it together and they've been watching the tape and they see that your guidance your off, off-camera coaching as well as your on-camera shenanigans are are starting to make me the you know kind of the Giannis of <laughs> podcasting like they knew okay he's got the length he's got the the athlete it's it's all there somewhere but now you're seeing it shape into two time mvp form
1: i tend to well first off it's flattering uh second i agree yeah i mean i think that the show's taken big steps we have a structure people seem to be digging uh, what we're doing and um you know i've really um you know, dragged you kicking and screaming to a place where we mitigate <laughs> the comedy ramblings of yeah. one JL Covan.
0: No, instead I go home and cry after the podcast. Instead, which is better for the listeners, worse ask, for me. Ask but- Kobe
1: Bryant how much crying he did in public. Well, I can't ask Kobe Bryant. Well, right, wow, that dead.
0: was insensitive. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But rest, I would like to peace. ask his wife out. She's very attractive. Yeah. yeah, I've always liked her, and my my guy Carl Malone. We share that my yeah. basketball hero until a few years ago, <laughs> right. um, we shared an attraction <laughs> to Kobe Bryant's wife. I don't know if I have the confidence to walk up to a Latin woman and say, I'm hunting Mexican girls tonight, but <laughs> Carmelone does Carmelone has uh, that, that BSC, that big stalker energy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they don't get much bigger in the stalker community than Carl Malone, right? And Carl Malone, by the way, great basketball player, not maybe a great human being. Yeah. Uh, in fact, let's just say it. I'm gonna go there. Not a great. Human not being. A great. Human, yeah, yeah. Probably wouldn't like me. Probably also likes Trump. Real quick,
1: is he worse of a person than Pete Rose, or are they on the same? Are they, are they in the same tier of? What bad did Pete guy?
0: Rose do that what? would rank him there?
1: Well, Pete Rose also allegedly had a an an underage. Well, did
0: he, did he produce professional athlete children from that underage dalliance? Who's uh, the common's he, his son from that relationship made the NFL. He played like four seasons for the Buffalo Bills. So how about a thank you? (laughs) Everybody's so quick to judge. So then Pete Rose worse than Carl. Yes. Because if you're, if you're only presenting a angry bowl cut genetics. Yeah. To your future offspring, get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Carl Malone, he had two, he had two illegitimate kids, I think. Is there a new phrase for illegitimate? I don't think. I mean, I think, especially when it comes to legitimate from plus
1: alleged statutory rape, I think it's yeah.
0: I think legitimate plus, I think that's it. Um specially legitimated, <laughs> uniquely legitimated children. Yeah. Um, one of them made the uh WNBA, okay. and the other made the NFL. I really
1: didn't know that they had right. I, I knew that there was like some uh f- potential um well, how do we even want to say it? Some some not nice stuff. Shenan- I think ha- we, yeah. in the
0: statutory rape community they call it shenanigans. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't Tom realize. Foolery. Yes. I did not realize that it birthed a couple of professional athletes.
0: Right. And meanwhile his regular kids born in a you know wealthy two-parent household, not professional athletes. Yeah. So once again, Okay. I'm just saying, you weigh it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You weigh it out. You see, okay. There's some pluses and minuses here. Yeah. Um. But and also, as I've said pre- in previous iterations of this podcast, you know, not that I want to defend what he did, because I, I'm pretty sure Carmelo wouldn't like me. I think he's probably to the right of Charles Barkley. I like, don't think he likes
1: anybody. Yeah. He's not. He's a very prickly guy. Only, but let me
0: tell you something. You know, and I've said this before, not here, but uh, but on uh, other places. He he. Very few people are going to go up to Carmelo. And give them a piece of their even at 60. Yeah. He is still jacked. Yeah. He's he is he is still, you know, very intimidating. Yes. And I think will not brook any dissent. Uh, but he uh but parent, I mean this is a great way. I mean, I didn't think we'd get into a parenting discussion uh via Carl Malone's vast deference.
1: It's not usually how you segue into a parenting discussion, right. but we get creative
0: here. <laughs> but the good news is, everybody, I'm not going to be a parent officially, right? No, I don't. I, I'm. I'm just. I wanted them to think like, is JL, is JL <gasps> going to be a dad? I see. All right. Yeah. So I just wanted it's to take them on that three second journey of mm-hmm. like, wait a second, JL's talking. JL. <laughs> no. Um. I have been. I'm an uncle, though. The. Uh, And I'm the first, I am an involved uncle, but I'm also, I don't like it when people go overboard praising the work of uncles and aunts.
1: Why should they?
0: And I had an uncle who was, you know, in my experience, my dad was foreign born, came over when he was 30, he's from Haiti. And so my uncle lived across the hall from us. It was like a very R-rated language sitcom, Mm -hmm. my, my entire upbringing. But he lived across the hall from us in the building. So he was basically as immediate family as an uncle could be. Mm -hmm. Um, and he filled in a lot of the gaps kind of culturally sports, you know, the things that, you know, my dad liked boxing and soccer. He didn't like the sports I played. Right. really like, not that he didn't care that I was playing, but so, so my uncle was as involved as you could be, but it's still not the same obviously as, as a parent. So I'm not here for one of those aunties and uncles. Like they're the real heroes kind of, kind of thing. Uh, but I am involved. Like my my younger nephew is a sort of high level soccer player, relatively high level soccer player in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and he just finished up a very good junior season. Uh, and now it's time to go find a club team. And this is one of these phenomenons that I said I, w- I kind of want to talk about this a little bit. And I know this some people are like, when's he going to talk politics? Uh, I mean, I do want to talk about congratulations to the state of Ohio for uh, enshrining the right to uh, let me read the the language right. Butcher children in the womb is now a constitutional right in Ohio. So I'm just using the language that they did. I I wanted to get it right. Um, No, but abortion is now enshrined in the constitution uh, because the Republicans, you know, they, they were the dog that caught the, this is actually all parenting related. Yeah. Tie it in alone, abortion, youth soccer. It's all really under, you can't get me on this one, Mike. (laughs) You can't. I'm able to, I'm carving out a, a wide berth for parenting talk. I'm seeing the clips in my head as we do, as
1: we do this, you know?
0: So uh, the, but Ohio, I, I, just, I did for, here's the one politics moment before I get back to the more focused topic. It is interesting that like, it took Trump actually doing what Republicans have been threatening to do. He actually, and I'm never going to compliment Trump except for now. He actually did what they said they were going to do. They've always used this ab- abortion as this kind of like, liberals are killing babies. You got to give me money and vote for me. You got to give me money and vote for me. They're killing babies. Then he stopped it. I mean, he, he ended Roe v. Wade with his judicial appointments. He right. knew what he was doing when he put them on the court. That wasn't a mystery that Amy Coney Barrett wasn't like some sort of, you know, Amy Coney Barrett combines the like cult evangelical vibes with the Catholic church. It's like, she's, she's like, how do I become the most evil Christian? <laughs> and and I say that as a, I say that as a kindly Stephen Colbert type Catholic, mm-hmm. but he knew what he was doing and he did it. And then everybody was like, uh Oh, it turns out everybody's really pissed about this because what they didn't realize is there were a, there was a large segment of the American population who'd taken abortion for granted. And I'm not I gotta say, I've turned down show I like in 2020, I turned down appearances at like some like pro-choice organization show. Cause I was just like, uh, I vote for this, but I'm I can't pretend to be like Mr. like rah-rah, ladies. When did you have your first abortion? Busy Phillips. Tell me all about it. I'm more like somber when it comes to it. I know that some people feel it's something to be celebrated. It's an empowering thing, but I'm more of the like, it's all sad. <laughs> I, I get that it's gotta be. It's got, it, I, I understand the need for it, Yeah, yeah. but I'm also not, ah, we did it everybody. Like, yeah, I mean, I think you get what I'm, say- I'm saying. I'm saying that's yeah, why. I, so I don't want this to seem like I'm just some, like I'm taunting and saying, I get it. Everybody it's got to be on demand all day, every day, whatever, whatever. Like I don't, I'm, but the, um, it was very telling how much this is turned in the country, how big an issue abortion has become, because what it really tells me is a lot of these women. And I think it's a lot of white, it's not exclusively white women, but I think it's a lot of white women kind of just were comfortable being like, well, it's not going to be my abortion. Right. <laughs> right.
1: Fair. Sure, fair. Right. It's not going to be yeah.
0: my abortion. So I like low taxes. My husband, you know, we've always been sort of right of center and um, I can take for granted that like Republicans will never be able to undo the things that I secret that secretly might make me a Democrat if they were on the table again. So let's roll the dice for low taxes and uh, because you know, those people sometimes like creep me out or like maybe uncomfortable and let's see what happens. And then they saw what happens. And it just showed you how many people weren't taking that say this issue is important, were either not taking it as important or were like hiding behind the, well, it'll never happen. So we can we can starve our schools of funding and we can treat immigrants like shit and we can live in de facto segregated neighborhoods and it'll all be okay. And I'm still going to get an abortion or my, my, my daughter will be okay. And, but those people who are on the front lines and can have their rights taken away in a minute or two, uh, fuck them. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm going to be fine. Right. And then they realize <laughs> we're not fine. Yeah, yeah. Get out in the streets, ladies, we've yeah. got to vote. And yeah. it's like, this is the problem you have to treat democracy and the rights you care about whatever side you're on as an active never ending struggle. And that's a, that's a, in a way, uh, a creepy thought.
1: Oh, it's horrifying,
0: but right. it is plain and simple. And it just, but it tells you that a lot of these people didn't think their rights could go away. Um, so on that note, with people who didn't have abortions, youth soccer parents, mm. uh, well, or at least these particular children yes. were not, were to carry to term. Um, there's a weird thing going on and I've been noticing this like because I've seen it from my nephew from like the age of 10. It became this de facto thing. You have to do you have to do the club teams. You, you know, if you want to play in college, you have to do the club teams. So it's like your high school team has become like less important. And I understand that if you are a McDonald's All-American in basketball where it's like yeah, you you're on a different level. You are already on the professional track. But this has now become I think kind of a grift. In in youth sports. And I'm sure there are parents out there who know exactly what I'm talking about because you you and I this is a broader trend, I think, in parenting that I'm seeing. But you have to, it's a race to the bottom. In other words, it should be when I was a kid, I played soccer, and then I played basketball, and then I played baseball. And the only time I gave up soccer and baseball wasn't because I had to do extra training for basketball, it was because I wanted to walk dogs for money in the fall and spring and basketball was the only sport I wasn't willing to give up my, my, my walking around money for Duchess, RIP rest in power. Duchess, greatest, greatest dog. And I love cookie. The only dog that can compete with Duchess is cookie, but Duchess I think is, is the single greatest dog golden retriever. I walked for many years, rest in power. He died. And, And here's the funny thing. About Duchess, they brought her in to put her down. This is how great she was. She died before they could put her down. So the owner never had
1: to make the decision, to make the decision. She died like on the operating. They brought her to,
0: well, they brought her to the animal hospital and we're going through it and she passed away in the animal hospital before they had to put her down. Wow. Duchess, you're a real one. You were the best. Tragic story. Well, but, but beautiful, but beautiful, yes. beautiful, Tragic yeah. but beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't think dog parents are parents. I want to clear no. that up. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. Love my dog. Yes. Uh, not, a, I'm not a parent, Yeah. but I no, love, no. I love cookie. Cookie's the best, <laughs> uh, second best. Actually don't tell her. I don't think she listens to the podcast. Um, but I see these youth soccer teams. Like it becomes this thing where the cost, I remember my nephew, it was like, they were doing a trip to like Texas. And these things, they don't care. They act like they're too important. They're like, yeah, we've got one game Thursday and one game Sunday night. It's like, these are school nights. And now I have to miss like Thursday, Friday, and Monday traveling back for an extracurricular team. And it was like, you know, they charge out through the moon. I'm telling you, there needs to be an investigation into these like youth club teams because it's this fertile ground for grifting, Mm. And the reason it's fertile ground for grifting is not because of the kids; it's because of the parents, because the parents have been convinced that if they don't do this, their kids will be behind. Yeah, and that's sort of you know we have this in this country now. There's a big parents movement. That's how you get people to do anything. Like if there's a person reading a book to your kids, like it's you. You don't say I hate gay people or I hate drag queens. Or, you say we're protecting the kids, and it becomes this thing with these with these club soccer teams. They're expensive. I don't know how much they actually do because it's like, I guarantee you a majority of the kids that my nephew has played with on club teams are not playing in college, Mm -hmm. but they've just paid like they go to public school. So they have extra money to be like, ah, but we can pay an extra like cup five grand for an extra curriculum. It used to be 75 bucks for my soccer league in my neighborhood.
1: I'll tell you what, too. Uh, When I was because this was starting around when I was like a kid, I guess, because you're like 10 years younger, a little bit younger. Yeah. 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 And I can tell you straight up that the kids that played when I was when I got to high school, those kids that didn't play any of those extracurricular things, they were the they were way better. And they eventually didn't fucking end up playing in college or whatever. But like the kids that you would just like see out in the street, and you'd be like, like we had this kid, Justin Thompson, who was like one of the best athletes I ever saw as a kid if we played like in the street with him football, it was like, Oh fuck. This, he better be on my team or we are dead. Like he's right. going to kill us. And it was the same thing in high school. when We started playing high school ball. It was like, Justin was hands down the best player on the team. And he was just like, he was one of those guys that would just kind of like come off the couch and and just like rush for a hundred yards in a high school game, and it was, and then didn't really do anything else with it,
0: you know, right. and he's now homeless in San Francisco. he could be, who knows, <laughs> but he was a hell of a running back when we were when we were in high school well, there you go and uh but what I've noticed now, like so now I went to my nephew's high school games this year, and by the way, side note, tons of racism in New Jersey soccer, no shit, but it's like New Jersey is stealthily n- very racist <laughs> yeah new New Jersey is like. <laughs> Huh. what's what's the what's the i'm trying to think like the equivalent of like a in the streets and in the sheets like jersey <laughs> jersey is like blue in the streets yeah and maga red in the sheets yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: um they're hillary in the streets and they're uh palin in the sheets yeah, yeah.
0: it's all uh, that sounds fun actually but um bobert bobert in the in the sheets that's my new updated palin. Yeah, yeah yeah that's better but palin 2.0 yeah Uh, but yeah, I've seen, it's just incredible though. The amounts of like somebody on a team called somebody on my nephew's team, a, and I quote black boy, (laughs) which I was like, I actually think I might prefer the N word at that point. (laughs) What are you a South African farmer from (sighs) the 1940s? Doesn't sound great. No. And I bet you that was that kid's attempt to, to be like. Well, Coach said, Coach said we can't say the N-word. Yeah, right. Um, but anyway, what I did notice during one of my nephew's games, they were playing a team that was now, if I told you, we can go with some stereotypes here just for the hypothetical. If I told you you're playing a soccer team with a majority Latin players, like foreign-born Latin players and some black players, would you assume, well, that could be a good team? If we're just going off of like, Stereotypes. Soccer? Yes. Yeah. Right. They got worked by my my nephew's team. Really? And my I I was talking to my brother and it was like, he was like, Yeah, if you, you think about it, but then you realize what's happening is it's different than maybe it was starting with your age, where it was like, oh, these youth sports teams. But then as as the grift grows, it becomes a reality. It's like crypto. Yeah. It's like, hey, you need to do this. If enough people start believing you need to do these, these extracurricular youth sports club teams. Right. And eventually it comes true. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Eventually then it does become something you need. And I'm watching it going, yeah, these kids aren't terrible, but like everyone on my nephew's team, I think, has like extra coaching club teams. And they are, my nephew's team is like probably, 40, 60, black, white, or is it 50, 50? I, let's say 40, 60. Yeah. But um, I don't even know if they have any, Latin, a couple Latin kids, but, but mostly it's just, it's white and black. And, but they all are from an upper crust uh, zip code school district. And they whooped this team. And I just thought to myself, I was like, is this going to be the new thing? This is why I I sort of thought of this topic. In addition to, if you have any kids playing sports, it's like, I get it. You can't stop.
1: So you're saying, so just so I get this straight, because this, what I'm comprehending sounds different than again, when I was Mm -hmm. a kid, you're saying that the upper crust kids, the rich kids are now just better at these sports because,
0: because now it's the
1: extra coaching. It's
0: the extra, like, in other words, yes. Anybody who is at that elite level. You know, LeBron James will just make the most ridiculous example. Yeah. LeBron James uh, doesn't matter where you're from really or what you you are blessed at a certain level that even money can't overcome. Yes. Right. And put in the work, obviously. Of course, you got to do right. that caveat. Like, so you're just saying he's no, no. Yeah, obviously but, uh, put in time. At work. a certain point when you mature, broad-shouldered, six-eight, six, forty-inch yeah, vertical, right. you're you you right. places. You got a shot. It's a, to bring back to Carl <laughs> Malone. Carl yeah. Malone had a starter commercial when I was a young kid, and they and 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 it was this commercial where they were like, "When you're from a small town, but you dream big." Yeah. Starter. Yeah. And it was, and my uncle was in there, and he goes. And when you're six nine two fifty, right, right, yeah, I was yeah. like that did help too. Yeah, world class <laughs> athlete right out of the womb, you know. Um, but so, so just to
1: piggyback off that, but yes. the reason I brought that up was because when I was a kid, bring, to bring it back to Justin Thompson, the rich kids were the pussies, sure. Like the kids that were the really good, like Eric Noah, another like Edison legend from where I grew up, who just like was the best baseball player. And then when we were 14 years old, dropped out of high school, like he had, he potentially had a path to being like a minor. He was so good. And we, I just remember being at a football game with him and he was smoking cigarettes under the bleachers and was like, yeah, I'm going into construction. And I'm like, thus ends another potential baseball career because wow. he didn't, he lived in a trailer. You know what I mean? When, Down when by the river?
0: Up. I know it's <laughs> a van by the room. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, but that's what, that's my point is that what's happening and this is kind of the whole point of bringing this all in other than to just throw shade and say tons of racism in yeah. New Jersey high school sports. Right. You'd think it was 19. 19- You'd think this shit was school ties. Yep. And I'm not exaggerating like slurs and con- like it's unbelievable. 2023 America mm-hmm. blue state. But what I'm seeing and what, what I just kind of pieced this thought together watching these teams where it was like they were playing a very underfunded poor district. That you might have, you know, like people will make those stereotypical comments, like, yeah, so we played this team that was all black dudes and they kicked us the shit out of us off the court. That was from that's from like an era where I was in school where you had these like sports was kind of an equalizer in a way. And now, because it was the only opportunity, much like our discussion of Italians who in the evolutionary pop culture chart. Develop into black people. (laughs) 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 I want to do that. A pop culture evolutionary chart. It starts. It starts with an Irish guy like boxing like this. And it's like Irish need not apply. And then it's like an Italian dude in a suit crooning. And it's like, oh, the Italians, we don't want you here. And then it's like LeBron James at the peak. Like Here's how we eventually done like, yeah, we did that a whole joke, but I want to reserve that for a comedy bit. We yeah. did that off mic, but just know that if you see a new album from me in a year or two called Italians 2.0, <laughs> that's code for black people. So what I saw though when I watched that game is I said, oh, but if you told somebody my age and I was like, yeah, they're playing a team. I, I know this is all very stereotypical, but we, we but live in a real the world yes. where you're just like, we played this whole team of. Of, and I'm making my voice even older. This whole team of black dudes in basketball—they kicked our ass. Yeah, that can still be true, obviously. But we're in a different world now, where now it's not just SAT prep. Yeah. Now prep school parents—they'll have their kids reclassify for a year. And it's not the it's not the elites that we care about because that's always it's the same the same thing as when when a, when some racist dude will go, "How can we be a racist country?" Oprah Winfrey. I rest my case. Right. Obama right I rest my case it's not those extreme examples where where the change where the generational changes happen where the where the institutional change happens it's what happens to the median person the middle person in that group what's their life like and as I right. watch this with all the upper crest parents paying for the extra schooling and the extra extra training and then like the school that 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 can't afford any of that Now, is sports, this is more of a question, but is sports going to be the thing that starts to slip behind as an equalizer and an opportunity in some cases? Because the greatest, the best of the best will always kind of rise. But in the middle, will there be like mid-level scholarships disappearing because like the person who maybe is from a shitty school or shitty neighborhood or shitty background had that chance? But now, now just like SAT scores can be influenced by SAT prep. Like oh you know they 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 this guy got a fourteen hundred this person got a a, a ten eighty mm-hmm. is it going to be the same thing for sports and I just I had that thought like I can see that being our future where you have this school where it's like yeah they're not bad and maybe twenty years ago in an equal where all you had was your school team maybe they lose two one or win two one but they get smoked five nothing because the team from upper crust, New Jersey has 20 private coaches and 18 club teams that they're playing for things that are neither available nor possible for some of these more broke teams. And the reason I think this is happening. And then I want to broaden this into a more of a discussion and an indictment of parents in their forties and fifties. Uh, I feel like parents today can't say no to their kids. It feels like. Yes. In a way that my parents are super comfortable with. Will not. Just won't. (laughs) Right. You know? And I think we should take a break there and we'll condemn parents in general, not just in the sports context. When we get back. And we're back, everybody, if you bothered to stay with that discussion of sports and how we're headed in inevitable decline in uh, society of unequal situations, not only in academics, but in sports. That's, that's my theory. So come back to this episode if we still have a planet in 20 years, <laughs> and you'll probably see some feature article in the New York Times going, youth sports, no longer an equalizer the way it used to be, because everybody is now just pump if specializing, and if you can- You're either Jim Brown and it doesn't matter what anybody does. You're going to be a great hall of fame athlete or you're Timmy whose parents got you into like special coaching at four and turned you into behemoth. And now you're doing football highlights on uh, Instagram. You're Zach
1: Wilson. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I know. Well, at least he's finally getting his comeuppance (laughs) Ronan Farrow at quarterback. (laughs) Uh, but I, I thought, and 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 once again, these things often lead. You know, they, they there's like a domino effect in my brain of like, and then what what else can I broaden this to? Uh, not just youth sports and parents kind of tilting the playing field for their kids because it it's, and I've seen this with my brother uh, and 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 my sister in law where it's a balancing act. Any good parent realizes you got to do a balancing act between independence for your kid and doing what's right for them, but not letting them run amok not letting mere peer pressure control what you do. Like, Oh, if all your friends are doing it, then we got to do it. But I think this, this new wave of parenting, because I know we've differed in fashion, Mike, in terms of what we think is important. Yes. But I do hate when I see somebody over 50, just dressing like, like they're trying to serve looks and it's like, you're at your kid's high school basketball game. Do you- I love this. This is so funny. <laughs> Do you have to be...
1: You are so in favor of giving up after 40.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> it's no, no. so funny no, to me. No, and here's, here's my philosophy. It's not... You're 50. You're finished. <laughs> it's not that. I know it sounds like that, but I think I come from a school of thought, and this is, I'm heavily influenced by my own parents, obviously, where parenting, once you're a parent, it's not that your life is over, but... It's, it's the same way I feel about dudes whose wives are pregnant and then they hit the gym hardcore, like almost like they're scared seeing their wife get fat, Oh yeah. but it's like, but she's not getting fat just for the hell of it. But you're like, I always think like, maybe, maybe you put on a, I know this, I'm sure there's people out there going, no, man, I hit that. I, I, I just stayed healthy, hmm. but it's like, <laughs> wouldn't a couple sympathy pounds in terms of hey i'm stressed too even if it just sends the signal yeah. i'm with you yeah right we'll right. get in shape together when, yeah. not like i'm showing up in like tailored scrubs in the maternity ward with my guns showing <laughs> like yeah uh, when she got pregnant, I said, well, two fat people in this house are going to really disgust me. So I got on a uh, new with Frank Thomas and <laughs> Andy Van Slyke and just uh, started banging the O pair after interviews. And now I'm feeling great about myself. Yeah.
1: Thank God for Andy Van Slyke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but Mike means thank God for Andy Van Slyke providing the only two punchlines this entire episode. And no, so that, that's, I think that's my mindset. So when I see a parent prioritizing like, hey, look at my, I'm always kind of like, I have this mindset of a parent being like, your role now is parent first, then whoever the fuck you want to be second. Mm -hmm. If if you're going to, you know, Without being flippant, whether I'm wrong or if a psychologist would say, no, you have to maintain your identity and not lose it, or else that can be damaging to the family. Fuck it. I don't want to see you in <laughs> $1,000 Balenciagas and fucking ripped jeans and a V-neck shirt like you're going to the club. Just dress like a parent. Um, <laughs> Do you, let me ask you a question before I move on. Yeah. Do you understand, even if you disagree with me in terms of my denigration of fashion, do you agree with me that there is a level of like are you putting too much time into your like into yourself as a parent? I think there is so I, as somebody who's not a
1: parent, I think that apparently <laughs> I Fun. think that kill me. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> um I think that there is listen, I think if you're if you've always been that type of person that Cared about your look and was a little vain, or what? I, you know, I'm a little vain, and, and I that I, I I'm aware of that. Then I think that's one thing, but um, I think that a lot of people have crises,
0: crises, crises, crises. And what you're describing, they, I'm describing what I almost instinctively view as a crisis. This wasn't your look, right? This that, is that like does your, happen,
1: right? Who's that, the guy from John and Kate plus eight who all of a sudden he like he John? had like. Well, John, yeah, right. John, but he had,
0: he had <laughs> good it, guess. Is, it was good John, guess. <laughs> John
1: Gosselin, I think was the guy's name, but all of a sudden he was this he was like Barbie, the different Gosling, Gosling, uh, okay. John Gosselin, I think is the, anyway, that guy was, uh, he was like a dad on TV on this reality show where right. they had a ton of kids. And then he had this like breakdown, they got a divorce and he started wearing like Ed Hardy shirts and he just looked insane, right? you know, cause he had this like, I think, so I think listen, man, I think that you do have to maintain some level of like yourself. I think it's probably impossible when you have young kids, you're just kind of like taking care. But I mean, I think that's what happens when people get into those latter stages of like sort of the cruising phase of marriage and having a family like like I I mean, I that's one of the things that scares me about getting to that point in my life. I don't want to just like those bags under your eyes, just looking like a fucking haggard disaster. It's a frightening prospect when you start seeing other people living like that. And you're just kind of like shit. I'm destined to look like shit and like, forget the last time I showered. Cause I have a kid like bopping on my shoulder and yeah, you know?
0: Yeah. That's uh, my fear about marriage and, and all that has always been, um, it's a sacred covenant with God and violating that. Not, not if I'm serving looks. Well, <laughs> no, I've always, I mean, I'm a
1: Christian and I'm,
0: I'm a, uh, you know, I put a, too much
1: a I, villainous Jew.
0: I put too much, uh, I think pressure on marriage in my head <laughs> where it's like, Oh, this is, you screw this up. It's all over. I'm like with God, just with everything. Yeah. Like I'm, no, I'm
1: I don't think you're right about that though.
0: Uh, that's how it feels though. Do people get divorced like crazy? Not my parents. Well, and they, no, let yeah. me tell you something. They had every reason. <laughs> <laughs> I admired that she commitment, but was also terrified of it. Yeah, I know. Um, and that's JL's approach to marriage summed up in two sentences. Uh, but what I see and and without the fact th- th- what I, what I have noticed, and I think the thing that scares me more about being a parent, which I may never be, mm-hmm. but is you are now at the whim. I felt like my parents had full control. And some, and I'm sure there's a psychologist out there who's like, well, no, they didn't give you enough autonomy as a kid. They had full control. They were the boss. They were, they, they were the full authority. Me too. And I think they could have handled certain things differently, but I also think that in many ways that felt like an appropriate, it wasn't parenting by committee. It wasn't parenting by what else is everybody doing? It was, this is how we do it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And yeah.
0: <laughs> what I've noticed is, and I noticed this with my nephew getting a cell phone. He was last among his friends, I think, to get a cell phone. My brother and his wife were basically just going on the, well, uh, the medical literature, the the child psychologist, everybody says like, you know, cell phones and especially social media, not good for them at, at the developing age. Terrible. But what happens is, and this is a joke I've written where I said, It seems nowadays, at least in, I think as the cell phone becomes more and more ubiquitous, you can only be as good a parent as the worst parent in your child's peer group. Because what'll happen is, hey, we're all 10. We all agree that's too young for a cell phone. Yeah, yeah, we all agree. But then James's dad is like, hey, buddy, I'm going through a little bit of a crisis. So let's get matching $300 sneakers and I'll get you a spare iPhone. (laughs) On my plan, because I'm the cool dad. I'm cool. I'm not a loser just because just because you know I'm you know I know I could get with your teacher. I know I could. You don't know who I was back in the day. But instead, I'm not going to do that to your mom. Instead, we're going to get cool sneakers together, and then I'm going to get you a cell phone. And now James is walking around going like, "Yeah, my dad got me a cell phone." And then Mike and Timmy are like, "Mom." Yeah, no, James has one. You said when my friends got one, I could get one. And then like the other kid, Timmy, is just, he's the real piece of shit. He's like, you cunt, mom. (laughs) And his dad's in there like reading something going, "Uh, Tim, we don't use that kind of language. (laughs) That's, we've talked about that. That's, you know, I respect your voice and you're, you're obviously emotional on this, but we don't use that. We don't, we certainly don't say the C word, son. Yeah. Fuck you, dad. And then all of a sudden the three of them have phones and they're group texting and they're only 11 and then it's 12 and the good parents, there's like two good parents left who are holding strong. They're like, no, we just, it's not good for you. You're doing well in school. You see your friends at school. Yeah. You're on the team. Everything. yeah, but my team, everybody on my team is a piece of shit and they all have phones at 12. Well, we just don't think it's right. And then all of a sudden you hit 13 and it's like, I'm the odd man out. Even though all the journals and the literature and the parenting guides say what you should do, no one's following that. So now you are de facto shitty parents by simply being what we used to call good parents. And then you have conflict and now you're stuck going, well, do we want to do what's right, but will making our child slightly socially outcast or awkward be worse Will the cure be worse than the disease? And I think we have an epidemic, at least. And I'm only I'm speaking, I can't speak for all age groups, all demographics, all income brackets, but it just feels like whether it's caving into youth, like to the club sports hype and just, and, and it becoming a self-fulfilling, it's all, it's crypto parenting is what it is. There it is. Because it's just it's it becomes this thing where it starts out as ridiculous, but then enough people do it that you then have to do it, just like the cell phone. I I I'm I'm very happy I didn't have a cell phone until I was like 23. It's fascinating to me. Right. But it allowed me to become a fully formed asshole. <laughs> But it but it is fascinating, but it's also like, I didn't get a cell phone until my first year in law school. And that was only because the plans they were giving were cheaper than having a landline at the time. Right. So it was like, it made sense. It's like, oh, use this for your calls. It, I, I didn't send a text message till I was 26 because I spoke on the phone. I was up the gen, you know, you get a phone, my girlfriend, I'm talking to my girlfriend on the phone or email. Like I might email, but I we talked on the phone and it was actually one of the worst people ever to enter my life who was the first person to send me texts <laughs> and it's still seared in my mind as like ah the girlfriend before we both had text capabilities never text each always always con- we always conversated as we say in the bronx then all of a sudden text and and i just think we're in this world like i i think the scariest thing for me about Ever maybe becoming a parent was the responsibility, the weight of caring for a life from its most vulnerable state to the state where it hates your guts. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now, the thing that's at least equal with that is I see how easily, in an age of social media and cell phones, we are now the people who grew up with phones or had them as teenagers or young adults are now parents. And that entire kind of culture of look at me and look like look what I'm doing and look how I'm doing. And am I a good parent? How do I compare to other parents? My parents couldn't give a flying fuck how they compared to other parents. Plain and simple. And I don't know. I see, you know, I, I don't see us being in that world anymore. I think now parenting is becoming just another social media thing like where you are. And Mike is smiling because he's like, we finally got to a clippable part. (laughs) 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 No, but I think parenting is now almost a new trend. It's, 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 it's in the way a lot of people seem to approach it because they're very conscious of, I think parenting, you need to do a good job. There are certain basics in terms of don't abuse. You got to protect, you got to care for, you got to provide. But not in a sense of, if we have a minivan, do we suck? Like, my brother at one point, he doesn't have a minivan anymore. They had a minivan. And the person I remember I was dating at the time, same person I was referring to just a few minutes ago, was basically like, I would rather be dead than in a minivan. And I, I remember thinking after the relationship, I agree. I would rather you be dead than in a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> but well, what's the beef with the minivan?
1: Just that it like No, looks no, lame? I think the
0: minivan was so just like the station wagon. Yeah. I think we can track this. There right. used to be family vehicles. They weren't cool, but there was almost an acceptance of like, you're a family now. Fuck cool. Utility. Well, look, my parents still have a minivan, right? Like a, like a different generation. Though. Yeah. But I'm saying that, and this is kind of as I, have meandered a lot in this episode, but I think you see kind of what the point is, where it's when I look at our trends in society, parenting shouldn't be trendy. Mm. There are certain ironclad things you should do. And like when medical professionals are like, cell phones are bad for your kids and we can't stop ourselves from doing it. There's a problem. Like we are seeding good parenting in many ways to like mass culture in, in, in in certain respects. And with the, the, the reason I bring up the station wagon and the minivan Nobody would ever accuse those cars of being cool or sexy. Mm-mm. The reason people bought them it was to drive was, to Disney World. It was to drive and to have space to pack yeah. people and items. Yeah, and it worked and it was affordable. But and everybody had to switch to the SUV. You had to look like a cool badass mm-hmm. while chauffeuring your family to an amusement park. You had to look more rugged and and cooler. And I know you think that's funny, but I really do think that's either that's was our own insecurities or the car companies managed to. Promote that as like, this is what you should do. You don't have to be just a big bro going hunting. You can be a family man and not feel like such a family man pussy. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about just the
1: minivan specifically, I don't necessarily I think it's emblematic. I do think
0: it's emblematic, though. I think yeah. we have,
1: but you are also of the generation, like I said, there it's, what I'm getting if I'm playing armchair psychologist today from you. Sure. Is that I can't you can't afford my
0: sessions <laughs> since I uh, lost my day job. Patreon, everybody, <laughs> Patreon. You really, there is a
1: mindset that you think that like once the kids are, are out, that you're done. That the JL that, that could like all of these things that aren't pure function. Cause that's what a minivan is. I don't disagree that it's like my parents have one. I think it's fine. I don't think there's anything like it's comfortable sure. enough, but it, it does exist purely for function and there's no style to it whatsoever right. really. But it sounds like everything that you are saying is that basically like once the kids are out, the days of impressing anybody with anything are over. And
0: I would, and can I be honest? The reason I would, if I had kids, the reason I would want, to sort of maintain who I was and not give up. Is it in case to get divorced? It's no, no, no. <laughs> that's a guarantee <laughs> in <Okay>. case. <laughs> it would be so that my wife still is into me and that my kids look at me as somebody they can respect. And this is veering very quickly into alpha bro podcasting. No, but listen, that is, that is, I think, which we will do by the way. I I just need to tell We are going to do that. And we, I think next week we've got low cut t-shirt porn stars coming in here to tell us all about doing scenes. I just, you know, the fans, they, they're like, when JL like we've heard some great episodes, but it's not the content we need. But I, I think there is, And maybe that's the idea is that, and my parents, especially my mom was, was a parent of this. I I can't deny that I've been shaped by her to an extreme. She was extremely self-sacrificial. She lost her mom when she was nine. So she is an extreme, probably in the other direction of like all self-sacrifice, getting the kids into, you know, I have a high school diploma, but I'm going to get my kids into the best schools in the country, period. Mm -hmm. And that will, if I have to dress shabbily. And not have a car and not to, that's what it takes. So I, I have to admit, I'm obviously influenced by that. There's there's no way you can separate that from me. But I just think we have reached this point where it's like peer pressure parenting. How about that? I feel like I could yeah. we could package this into like a faux psychology course where people are like, I get all my parenting tips from Dr. J L PhD. <laughs> and it's like, no, no kids, no PhD. I just come up with good phrases that sound. Peer pressure parenting, I think, is something we're not that's it always takes about an hour and we finally get to it. We work shopping. That's what it feels like to me. Whether it's the cars you drive or letting your kids use cell phones when the experts say they shouldn't. This kind of peer pressure, I want my kids to be cool. That will or or not ostracized so that I don't feel ostracized. Hey, when Cookie goes to a dog park for Christ's sakes and doesn't play well with other dogs or is like shy. I feel embarrassed. I'm like, damn, my dog is a loser sometimes. I can't imagine how that feels when you see your kid and you're like, Jesus Christ.
1: Didn't bother my parents.
0: That's a loser. (laughs) Jesus.
1: And they did everything they could to make that happen for me. (laughs) To be a complete loser.
0: But it's, but it's that general, like, I feel like, I see this all. I, I mean, I see kids on screens. Way too many kids on screens. I well,
1: I think I understand your point. I think that this is also sort of the way of the world at this point too. I mean,
0: oh, I agree. I know it is, and I think that we are at a. This is all pure speculation, but it's my gut instinct, and my gut is more right than wrong. It's not ninety five five, but it's fifty five forty five. Yeah. Where I go, this this makes me very nervous though, because it's like, I know, I'm admit, I'll agree with you. I think this is the way of the world. I also think this is not a good, like we are doing some things that are not
1: good. But at the same time, I agree. I don't disagree, but uh, you also don't want to, not that I'm defending the screen parents, but like you have, if you really think about it to not start your kids on those screens young. Um, there are pro, I'm sure there are developmental issues to just putting an iPad in front of them, but also at the same time, they're entering a world where everybody is on a screen at all times. Like at this point, I have, look at my fucking setup here. Like I have two screens in front of my face, a cell phone, my iPad next to me, and I work on a screen the entire day. So unless your kid is going to, you know, go into some sort of vocation where they're working not alongside AI and all these screens and stuff like, are you kind of putting them behind the eight ball by not,
0: it, it's just a weird thing. Right. And that's, know? and, and yes, that's, and I agree with you. That's the thing with the cell phone. Like they, my nephew was behind socially, right. Even though he had friends because he would not, they get, you, you have to raise thoughtful kids who would be like, Hey, don't forget to call so-and-so. Yeah. Instead, of like, blah, 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 And it's, I'm acknowledging the reality of it and saying, I think this is like with AI. I think we never checked, you know, and obviously this started as youth sports and club teams, but I think it is part of the peer pressure parenting and the FOMO parenting. Like, I think those two things, and maybe those were always sort of part of parenting.
1: I don't think they were.
0: But I was, no, what I was going to say is, but. Um, you know, oh, well, if, if you're right, it probably wasn't, you know, obviously the difference,
1: want- I would say the closest thing would be like there, you know, we when you were a kid or even generations before that, like parenting, it was like a like a paramilitary structure, like right. you ran it and it's happening in a lot of places in society now where like it's if you look at sports, coaches aren't parcels anymore. They're not like right. running with a with an iron fist bosses. You don't, nobody's going to work for the boss that is like constantly up your ass and being a, a dick and kind of running it with an iron fist. I think the era of people responding to that type of it's stuff like is over.
0: In an irony, because I think tech has made this so, but oddly enough, it's the tech world where you can still be the iron fisted genius. Oh yeah. I'm reading the Elon Musk, but like, right. those are still, ironically, the areas that have given us the most liberation for yeah. Lackadaisicalness or combo yeah. are the places where oh no, but he is still a singular genius who right. can like tell me I'm a weak pussy, right, and keep me up till four a.m. Right. Um, whereas yeah, I, I'm I'm a person who I remember when I started working at a law firm, it was just like you don't call people like my first job. I was like oh we're done with Mister, all right. Yeah. I'd be fine with Mister. I'm of that general where it's like hey if, you, if your boss wants to be Mister or something, I don't think that's crazy. But it's, I think now it, it doesn't
1: have Yeah. I've, right. I've never had a boss that I called Mr. Anything I've always called referred to. But I mean, even with parenting, there's just, you know, my parents, I have a good relationship with my parents now and we're, we're like kind of more friends as an adult. But like as a kid, there was, you just, you don't see a lot of kids getting dragged out of the mall by their ear anymore. And I think it was more embarrassing when I was a kid and when you were a kid for your kids to be out of control. I think people would just be like, what the fuck is going on? Who's, whose parents, who's, whose kid is that? Get the fucking kid, get that kid under control. What are you doing? And now you go into people's houses with young kids and the kids are throwing things down the stairs and their response is like, well, we just don't want to give it any attention because it's like a response thing or whatever. That shit would have never flown in either of our households as as a parent. And I know that times change, but it's just kind of like now if you did some of the things that my mom did when I was a kid, I can literally remember being dragged out of the mall in Jersey, like by my arm. And another parent coming up to her being like, you might want to like, like not do that. And my mom be like, don't you fucking to, dare to tell quote me how to raise my kids. To quote
0: stepbrothers, did we just become best friends?
1: Well, yeah, because I I, I hear your experiences. I did the same thing. It's like immigrant shit.
0: Can I tell you my story? Yeah. Barnes and Noble, okay. My mom, that was her one indulgence. Yeah, as many. My books mom as loved I wanted. Barnes and Noble too. Yeah. So we got six books. There's one other book I wanted. So we're it's now a Lenny's or a Lemwich yeah. near the garden. Yeah. i yeah, used yeah. to be a Barnes and Noble right around there. Yeah. We're leaving that Barnes and Noble, and I have like a down look on my face. I'm six. Yeah. And she goes, "What's the matter?" I go, well, there was that one other book I wanted. And she was like, are you fucking kidding me? I just bought yours. And a woman walked by and said, oh, very nice. And my mom looked her in the eye and pointed her and said, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, a, yeah. Oh, and as, oh, a yeah. Kid, <laughs> as a kid, you're like, whoa, my mom just told a stranger yep. who in yep. six-year-old world yep. is the most dangerous thing on earth. Yep. Fuck <laughs> you. My mom yeah, is not yeah, to yeah. be messed with. Yep, yep.
1: I'll never forget my mom pulling (laughs) me out of the Disney store and literally snapping. Cause I mean, my parents, same, same sort of thing. Like my parents are from Brooklyn. Like my mom has a real attitude, you know, like, like there's absolutely no one fucks with my mom. Maybe a little more now when I was young, straight out of Brooklyn, no way. And my mom, literally my mom, I was crying and my mom had me by the arm. We were like walking out of the Disney store and like Woodbridge, Woodbridge mall or something. And some woman literally was just like, like, oh, like great parenting or whatever, like the kids crying or whatever. My mom snapped on this woman. And it's literally, it is, you're right, man. It is, it spreads, it sends so much fear down your spine when you're just like, she's like Thanos. This is like an untethered, you know what I mean? Like no one is stopping this woman. I'm in trouble. And she is like, until she is like settled, I am not going to be. Like I, but, I need to be afraid until the yeah. So, but that is the thing that happens with these kids, where it's like you know we both turned out all right, and and like we're accomplished enough, and we're like adults with like self accomplished <laughs> enough. <laughs> but we have it en- yes. together enough. Where like I do think my parents, in hindsight, did a good job, and I'm like my myself and my sisters were like respectful people, and right. and you know like we're good, we're good people, but like. You know, we, there was no room for us to run amok as children. We were disciplined, you know? And
0: it just makes me think about all these things. My mom would indulge whatever I wanted within means if she could, but I feel like if I was on a traveling soccer team or basketball team, a traveling basketball team that had to go across like at, at, at in eighth grade Forget had to it. travel to like Texas. She'd be like, no, yes. My and mom not, did do I, that. I am the baby of the family. So there's that difference. So maybe she she definitely indulged me more than my brother. But we were like, fi- before I showed up, financially struggling. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think my mom was in a better situation and might have been more indulgent. But she probably also would have been like, you're missing school for what? Yeah. And yep. I think with the cell phone, you never know. But at the same time, it's like, Cause my mom wasn't a parenting journal type parent. So it's not like, cause if she was, then she would have been like, oh no, you're definitely not getting, I should also stop hitting you a lot, but you're not <laughs> getting this f- phone. Of course not. But, um, but I just, I, I, I should it worries me that I, if I were to become a parent or not, but I, I look and I feel like we have a generation and maybe it's cyclical. Who knows? Maybe some of these kids will grow up to be like, we were too our parents were too loose. I doubt it. But you never know if there's some sort of cyclical nature to human nature where it's like, you know what, the journals are now saying no, you gotta be dude. more disciplined. Cause
1: this is what's what's gonna happen is this is also it like hand in hand with social media. What's gonna happen is like somebody with our sort of philosophies is gonna like hit their kid in a target. And even just like something mild, not like beat the shit out of their kids but yeah. they're going to like spank their kid in the target Cold or something stunner, something simple <laughs> right and it's going to it's going to hit twitter and it's going to go viral and then all of a sudden somebody is going to like lose their job because they like spanked their kid in the target and it's just like can you believe this this guy uh, like like spanked his son's ass in the target whereas like where we when we grew up that was not only common but it was just like dude like that was the way you disciplined kids when we were kids I, you know we got hit and we didn't get hit. my parents weren't alcoholics. We weren't getting hit for no reason. But like that's that was part of disciplining when we were yeah. kids. It's just not anymore. And parents are closer to like friends and cool. I'm a cool cool
0: parent. I you know? knew I got I'd get you on my side mocking cool parents eventually. Well, I just I do I just I think but that I think it's these ridiculous are ridiculous. I think these are all components. Yeah, of a broader generational issue. We may be seeing the overindulgence, and I'm not talking about. I don't, like, we used to make fun of parents who were like, oh, my little Spencer is such a good boy. But, like, that's different than the sort of broader, like, being pressured into doing everything because if you don't do it. Right. It's almost like we have a generation of parents who are afraid to not be liked. or Everybody shits on the kids as participation, trophy kids, and whatever. But I think there's an element to the parents like, I want to still be cool, but I don't want to deprive my kids, and I don't want to be fucking up. And I, do, but it, 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 it's, it's almost like a combination of the dangers of combining the I still want to be a cool person parent with the, but I'm also very susceptible to the griffs that abound. That I must get my kid this. They've got to do youth. They got to do club sports, even though it's too expensive, and they got to have a cell phone, even though that's not necessarily good for them. And I don't know where this leaves us. Uh, I'm excited to see this group of kids when I'm an old man, when they start telling me to fuck off when I ask for a seat, when I'm 80, <laughs> and I think we will have reached you know, a, a great time. And we'll hopefully be back here in Williamsburg for episode of uh, 10,722 of the, of the show. Like oh, I was on the train and I asked the person if I could sit cause I lost my leg due to diabetes and they pushed me and pissed on me <laughs> and said, you don't tell us what to do, old man. Your time is over. And their parents applauded them for it for showing initiative. Eh. So this has been, I think, a long one. We're going to be uh, right back with a quick comedy talk. I think Scott Pelly should maybe make another another appearance. I, why wouldn't he? Okay, so uh, we'll be back uh, after this short break.
1: And now, from the Slickback Studios newsroom in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, here is Scott Pelley with a Rain on Your Parade special report.
2: On this week's Punchdown of the Week, Erica Orden had written, Trump is being sworn in. He is sitting on the witness stand. And J.L. Covan." Quote tweeted that and said, you can't handle the truth social. Obviously, parodying a few good men's famous line while adding social to represent Donald Trump's social media site. And then someone replied, this isn't the trial where he gets asked, Who ordered the code red? Think that's Georgia and D.C. That wasn't a funny addition, so it's the punchdown of the week.
0: (laughs) Why do you like that so much?
1: I like when when we bring the impressions in, but I like I like when they're in a controlled environment like that. Of course, of course, yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Well, yeah, there's your punch down of the week. It was, I know I I probably add too much with the impression, but it was just such a, just let the jet, there was no, I mean, mm-hmm. what is that adding? What is that's adding nothing, mm-hmm. but it was an attempt to be slightly funny, which is why it's a punch down of the week. Some people can't do it. They can't. And by the way, brother, 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 Mike, brother, <laughs> Mike, brother, Mike. Oh, Dartmouth's here. <laughs> Dartmouth East running for president, running for president, Mike. Are oh, you of really uh, officially you've announced? I all I've announced is an, I, I was going to run in the green party, but then I realized that would be too much work. Brother Mike, that the party system wants to control you with the green
2: party shenanigans. So I said, I'm going to run as an
0: independent mm. independent. No, but I actually recently just ordered my wig, my Cornell West 24 t-shirt. Cause I can't do the whole three piece suit with cufflinks and like fancy it's tie. Yeah. It's, I just have to order, I'd have to like buy a suit yeah. and I'm not going to do that. So I got a Cornell West 24 t-shirt, a fro, a fake goatee. He's Is he really running?
1: Or are you doing the bit?
0: Oh, he so, is running for president. Oh, I did Oh, I'm sorry. As a third-party candidate. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, no, that's a chance to really get that impression into the yeah. mainstream. Brother, yeah. brother Mike, brother Mike, we have to run. We have to run <laughs> for president because we're going to run. And we're going to have problems, Mike. We're going to have problems. So, uh, and I bust some, like, makeup to create a gap in my teeth also. So, there's going to be some Cornell some Cornell West content out there. Exciting. Uh, I'm excited for it. But uh, let's talk very briefly about a special I watched. Um, a guy I had heard of, oddly enough, uh, a coworker, a former coworker of mine who knew I did comedy. i said, have you heard of this guy, Ralph Barbosa? And I said, no. He says, oh, I've been seeing some of his stuff, whether it's on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. But I guess, you know, up and coming young comic seems very young. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say like, I have no idea how old he is, but I'd say mid twenties, Hmm. Uh, maybe late twenties, but he does. He's he he has a new special on Netflix called Cowabunga Hmm. and uh, I watched it and uh, it's, it was enjoyable, but I'm always one of these, I I hate to say this, but I'm always one of those guys who's like, if a young dude, unless he's like 38 and just looks really young and like, you know, I'm guessing he's in his twenties. Whenever I see a young comic blowing up, I always wanted to be like, Hey, like Bo Burnham is the example where I was like, Oh, oh, uh, um, exceeding expectations. You are incredibly elite. Like, like there's a reason why you are. Eddie Murphy is like a a very good example of like, Oh, that's why you were like on SNL Mm -hmm. and having specials at 21 because you were a, a fucking comet. And, um, Bo Burnham, I, I view in that sort of light. I think he is a, a, a comedic genius. So when I see a young person where there was Gerard Carmichael, when he blew up and I was like, oh, let's see what this guy's got. And I was like, well, he's reading a lot of notes on stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um that guy stinks. Oh, well, hey, you said it. But I'm I, fine with it. I'll I'll, I'll own no, it. No, I've I've never, I've watched how many specials of his? Three. And I'm always just like, I don't, I don't get it. Yep. I don't uh same. I don't under I don't understand, but this isn't about him. But I but I am always kind of like. Who anointed, like when, when did this guy get just, because it's just, it's one thing to have a style, but then to be a phenom, like Victor Wembanyama in the NBA, right? That's why everybody was hyping him up. 38 points. If he was going for two and four every game, you'd be like, uh, I think we overhyped this. Mm Um, you wouldn't give him a a super max extension after averaging two points and four assists or four rebounds. But in comedy, we operate differently. Once powers that be determine you are something, you are something. Yep. And once they determine, no matter how much you've done, that you are nothing, <laughs> you are nothing. That's for the video people. I'm not tipping the audio. I'm letting Mike have the audio, but I'm griping physically in the video. But Ralph <laughs> Barbosa, <a> <laughs> it was like a good special. I had, there were some parts I laughed at, um, but it's still one of those things where I go, Whatever it's, it is it is kind of like sports comedy has become like sports. Like if you see somebody with potential, you just sign them and you get them everywhere as soon as possible versus the old school way this is a very old school podcast where it's like, Hey, you're now ready to MC. You can feature, you can, you can move up. That's you're, done. That's done. Yes. You're just, once you have some potential, you're in. Like if somebody has decided you're in and you get a special and you're headlining and it's the same thing I kind of feel about parenting or whatever. I go, the old method did work. We are here. We are still here thriving, doing whatever, because the old methods did work. They could be tweaked. There can be problems with it, but giving free reign to the kids, maybe not the way completely to parent and giving the up and coming feature acts hour long specials before they fully. Now, some of them eventually just get there anyway. But in other cases, like when I watched Pete Davidson's monologue on SNL, I I watched it, and there were a couple of good jokes, but I thought, this is a guy who was ready to feature but was made a superstar seven years ago and has never had to really develop his act beyond what a a decent feature would be, like, as far as I've seen. Do you know what I mean? Like, in other words, why would he? What's the incentive? Like, he's been given the keys to the kingdom.
1: It's it's just so funny hearing you talk about all this stuff because- it is,
0: you are, you're like a
1: baker or a, a chef, JL. Oh,
0: thank
1: you. You want- Except
0: everybody's saying, no chef. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you want your, your yeah, you know, like you're an artist in a way where the product of the art really matters a lot to you. And that's very noble and that's very admirable. But the industry, I think it's always felt this way, but the industry doesn't care about that at all. Right. And it's just become more and more clear yes. that the way things get made now is that people fit a certain archetype that is like kind of hot for the moment. Right. And they just kind of figure out the rest later. And it doesn't sure. really matter if a Netflix special's fine or bad. Right. It's it's not the Netflix special is not the thing that's making or breaking anybody. It's just another piece of content that goes out there. The same way you can put clips up on your Instagram or your TikTok. None of that matters. It's just about quantity. And it's about if you tell people enough with clips and whatever that you are a comedian or an actor or like whatever, then you are. Because that's the world that we live in now. It doesn't really matter
0: if you're making anything of quality. And it's, that's it's, it sucks but that's the way it is. And if anybody ever determined that I was clinically depressed and wanted the main reason for that, I think that might be it. I think it's the idea that what you do when when what you do, when you're good at what you do and you find out what you do doesn't matter. Yeah. It's devastating. Yes. And that's how I kind of feel about comedy in general. And this is not by the way, just to be clear. I'm saying I liked Ralph Barbosa's special. It's sort of to me like, hey, this guy's this guy's got some real potential. Mm-hmm. But it's like potential used to not be a late night Tonight Show set. It was, the potential was to get to that Tonight Show set and that marked you as arrived. Now the arrival spots, the things that marked your arrival as a comedian are just stepping stones to money and content and fame. Right? They're not like a Netflix special, even under the in the lifespan of Netflix, which is not that long. We yeah. have seen Netflix specials go from events to simply publicity things to announce the arrival of some new people not the arrival of them as artists but the arrival of them just as human beings like you're going to probably see a lot of this guy as he develops his act so i thought it was good enough there were definitely some things i laughed at but it wasn't the the earthquake that i that i wanted from like this young guy that i've heard things about but it didn't suck so that's good. That's, that's a step up from maybe some other specials that I've seen where I'm like, what uh, notes at the store. I think it was love at the store, but I kept calling it notes at the store. Cause he had notes. Um, was that like Carmichael. Carmichael? Yeah. His first one. I wouldn't know. Directed same. by Chris rock and then directed by Bo Burnham. It's like, wow. Out of the yeah. gate, two specials, one laugh, two A-listers directing. But anyway, good for him. He's, he's, he's laughing. And then he had Rathaniel, which was also really not funny. <laughs> It was just not fun. I mean, and I don't even mean to say that it was bad. I was like, when does the comedy start? Yeah. Um, but the the thing I noticed about uh, um, Barbosa, what did I say his first name was? Ralph. Thank you. Wow. This has been Senile Hour with JL. You've never sounded older on a podcast JL, than you did today. Do you have cognitive issues? <laughs> uh, but the one thing he does, he talks very slow. And I've always said this, I'm a fan of Anthony Jesselnik, but I've always laughed. I have referred to his stand-up, I'm coining it here. It's the courier new of stand-up comedy. You know, you can have why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? There, that was six seconds of comedy. Whereas if you do it in courier new Jesselnick style, it's so my friend comes up to me and says, Hey Anthony. And I said,
2: Yeah. And he said, Have you seen that chicken recently? And I said, no, I haven't. Why? Why do you ask? And my friend said, well, I wanted to know something, Anthony. I said, well, what do you want to know? I want to know why the chicken crossed the road. And I said, to get to the other side.
0: <laughs> That's the mic down, yeah. look pleasingly at the crowd, shocked at what you said. Yeah. And I'm like, if you tighten that guy's act up, Every hour becomes like 19 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and Barbosa is not that slow and not that deliberate, but I always sometimes watch. Not that you need to be like Daniel Tosh, where it's like, I got 98 minutes of jokes into 58 minutes, which is why I still think he is an underrated guy. Do you like Tosh? I don't like
1: comedy anymore, so
0: (laughs) probably not. We did it, everybody. It took one episode to finally (laughs) put a nail in the coffin of comedy for... Well, Daniel Tosh is an example of very. He, I'm amazed oh, I, so I'm, the a, speed I'm familiar with yeah. which he gets jokes into an hour. Yeah. Um, almost with an ad lib sense because it's so packed. But anyway, judge for yourself. I think I gave Ralph Barbosa's Cowabunga like a thumbs up, but with a industry critique baked into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that Mike is uh, pretty much pretty much done with me after this episode. Uh, I thank you for listening, guys. Um, Obviously, we probably drew a huge audience for the Taylor Swift episode. Let's hope. And now they're back for this one going. I didn't know how old he was. Yeah, he seemed hipper. (laughs) He also didn't seem like somebody who would say hip to mean cool. But thank you for listening, guys, or watching. Be sure if you're a watcher of the podcast, please still go on a podcast platform and give it a review. Um, and if you're, if you're a listener, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can watch the episodes there. You'll catch some of the little subtle things we do that are only visual. Um, (laughs) wrap this thing up. Oh, that's a wrap it up. Okay. (laughs) That's it guys. Um, I think this is the last episode ever of of rain on your parade. So we appreciate you, uh, listening Bye. we got to wrap this up. (laughs) Mike has some hot chicks coming into podcast.